Welcome to this episode of the Fundamentally Right podcast from the Fundamental Rights Agency with me, Richard Myron. The FRA is part of the European Union and provides advice on people's rights as well as the obligations of the authorities to ensure that people are protected. The European Union's Charter of Fundamental Rights is the foundational document on which the FRA's work is built. The Charter came into force over a decade ago in December 2009. This podcast looks at the rights from the personal perspective of individuals who work for the FRA. In this episode, we're featuring Jana Gaidosheva, who's a program manager in FRA's Research and Data Unit. Jana is a trained lawyer and an expert in international human rights law in the highly relevant subject of data protection. She's lived and travelled throughout Europe, but Jana's personal story begins some years ago as a small girl growing up in what is now Slovakia, but was then a very different country. When I was born, there was still a communist regime. It was a one-state party government that controlled most of people's lives from the basic things like what's in the shops, basically. You had one type of uh, soap, uh, you had the one type of uh, genes uh, to issues like what is in the curricula of, of schools and who can enter university and apply for what type of jobs. Um, I was too young to realize some of these things, more serious ones. For me, there were practical issues like I remember my mom or my grandma, in fact, always had to spend a lot of time queuing in shops to get us oranges, for instance. And I don't know, per day, maybe two hours in queues in general. And uh, while, of course, in public we were all equal and all that, there was a lot of bribery because people wanted to jump the queues. So in a way, a lot of corruptions and trying to, you know, get the best oranges and, and things like that. So we, were, we call them Western goods in a way. And they only came for Christmas, for instance, yeah, so we couldn't get orange during a year when, whenever we wanted. So, so this, this I remember very vividly. Another anecdote, for instance, uh, which I remember both of my parents, uh, music teachers, were religious Catholics. And when we were going to, we wanted to practice uh, our religions, we wanted to go attend a mass. We always had to travel to another city to do that. Because of the religion in general was not encouraged at all. Some people who from the secret police were attending masses and monitoring who is there, especially from certain types of uh, professions, like teachers, uh, and they were listing those people and, uh, of course, then uh, these people had problems. Basically, um, going to mass didn't mean just coming to a church in the city where you live. We had to get up very early. I was uh, on a bus. Uh, I, I was preparing for school on a bus. I was doing my homework on a bus because, I mean, uh, it was almost two hours journey and basically this regular weekly traveling on a bus and I just hated the fact that we had to get up so early because I got sick on the bus so so that didn't help Uh, but that was what I remember this kind of routine of of, uh, and I just didn't understand why we have to do that and, and I just understood that I have to be careful because my parents can get into troubles then we had to be careful what we say and it was not easy because both of them were teachers and teachers was very uh, sensitive uh, type of profession 
and uh, so I have to be careful what, what I say. I mean, they were not like my parents didn't tell me and, you know, whenever they ask you, can't say this, it was more like unsaid thing, we understood. Probably if somebody asks me, I would probably very honestly say yes. We are Catholics, but obviously I didn't feel I should be talking about going to masses like on my own, you know. So it was kind of unsaid thing and, and that went with the fact that, of course, we had to take a bus, we had to go and, and my parents explained to us, okay, we have to do that because, you know, there are some guys, not bad guys who are listing names. I felt, uh, you know, excitement during the times when the communist, communist regime was coming to an end. During that period, 1999, you know, uh, lots of demonstrations. People, all of a sudden, all these creating new organizations to fight for, for rights. And I remember especially my mom being very active, always on the phone and always organizing uh -huh. some demonstrations. It was weeks and weeks she was spending on the phone and, and it was all very exciting. So that type of excitement, you know, I was, what, maybe seven years old. I was, like, getting on me, of course. And all of a sudden, uh, in our church, which we had in our city, we could use the bells, you know, the bells. When the Mass was about to start, uh, usually you hear bells. That was not happening during the communist regime. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, we have a, we have a bells. Uh, then a new church was built in that very city. So... Uh, so that I remember very, very vividly. And of course, the fact that we could all of a sudden go and visit other countries. We never went outside of Czechoslovakia back then when I was a kid and we could uh, go for vacation or even just go and do shopping uh, outside in Hungary or in, you know, in Austria, especially without getting any extra permission, without being first, you know, cleared, okay, these are safe people to go somewhere you know so this freedom of kind of moving around cities and around countries was something that I I realized as, as a kid was a great thing to be able to do so the first time we went to Austria of course what we were very surprised about was the amount of goods in the shops and the variety You had like a million types of certain product that we never seen. The fact that everything was super sophisticated, like automatic doors opening on a shop. I mean, the first time we passed by and the doors opened, we got scared, like what happened? And that liberty, like just go and buy the product without having to queue. There were no queues as well. So, and people were dressed like in different clothes, like in, in the streets back then, we saw people always dressed in the same style, you know, same type of jeans and all that. <laughs> and the different types of cars, that was also amazing, you know. The richness of, of everything was, was really amazing. It was amazing for, for me as a, as a child. Now, when I'm looking at it nowadays, Perhaps that was a consciously something that, that pushed me to that direction. I remember already as a child, I was very much, when I was listening to news and, and, and uh, especially some judgments from the Court of Human Rights, I was 
in primary school, so I didn't know anything about the law, but I just heard all this, you know, in the news, like how certain people were able to, you know, exercise their right. And now the government has to really change things, like, for instance, for Roma community that is very, very present in even nowadays in Slovakia. As a child, I remember we had uh, classrooms where there was always a one pupil of Roma origin, and that person was always sitting at the back in the classroom, always and alone always and I remember nobody wanted even to sit uh, next to next to that person um, and I remember once uh, just saying okay why I should not be sitting next to the person I went there and sat next to that girl it was a Roma girl I was surprising to everybody but to her I think the most she couldn't understand what I'm doing there all of a sudden and you know I, you get to hear these things you know and how all of a sudden certain policies had to change in a country so already there I was just like very kind of proactive and saying oh yeah that's a that's a great core that's a great you know uh, things you can fight for and uh, maybe that also had uh, obviously some uh, some influence on my thinking but subconsciously it was not something that I just consciously realized I said yeah because of my childhood and maybe lack of freedom now I want to fight for but that's probably was something that was somewhere in my brain which pushed me for this what I call a higher goal in a way in my life as well that I feel like when I do something well, it can, you know, you don't get a result immediately. Uh, you still can go to bed with your conscience being happy that you are doing the right thing or you're trying to do the right thing in your life. Jana, we heard there about your upbringing in Slovakia and also some of the, the things which in a way personally drove you to do what you do today. Now, just to clarify... You work on legal issues for the FRA, and freedoms is a major title within the Charter, and it's very broad. What does that mean to you in your professional work? I mean, the freedoms that are encompassed under that title, all these are rights that are not absolute, which means you have to always balance them. They, it doesn't mean that if you have a freedom to religion, you can exercise in a way that you would hurt another freedom or you would limit another freedom of another person. So, or right to protection of personal data and privacy, all comes with the limitations. So I think that's very practical about this title, that you don't get a right that is absolute right, like, for instance, right to uh, dignity, which is an absolute right and uh, cannot be really limited. Freedom of movement, for instance, yeah, or freedom of assembly, freedom of expression. All these freedoms come with some, maybe I can call it obligations, yeah, I mean, or responsibility, let's call it responsibility. So when you're exercising your freedom of expression, doesn't mean that you can say, I hate, well, it's my freedom of expression to say, I hate this particular group of population because of they are of that religion, for instance. Yeah? So you have a certain responsibility and you, you have to exercise your freedoms with that responsibility in mind. Doesn't that hit upon one of the basic problems with the issue of freedoms in the Charter, which is it sets them out, but then it doesn't set the limitations upon those freedoms? The Charter does set the limitations, but in a very broad way, at the very end of the Charter, it says that all these rights have to be balanced. And of course, at the end of the day, when you have an issue, it's usually the courts that would tell you where is the boundary and, you know, to set the boundary. So you do have certain principles set out in the Charter, the basic general principles that you have to apply. But indeed, the practical example of its applications is usually by looking at the cases that uh, where people had to go and, and maybe fight for their rights and make courts decide and say, OK, this was really wrong what was done or this is where we have to set a boundary. 
So that's why I think justice, which is not the title of the of the article, is so interlinked with other titles of the of the charter. It comes as a right that makes other rights a reality or helps other rights become reality. So as you say, these are intertwined rights yeah. that you can't have freedom without justice because justice must set out the limits of those freedoms and the extent of those freedoms. Indeed, and that's why justice is uh, independent justice is so important because after all, we trust that the courts make the right decisions and uh, they are the final arbiter in, in our lives in general. So uh, yes, we do have different titles in the Charter, but you cannot understand them in isolations. You always have to understand them jointly and together in conjunction with each other. Now, I noticed that Article 8 of the Charter is about the protection of personal data. That is something which all of us and governments, of course, are particularly concerned with at the moment because of the extent to which data is held and and the amount of data that's simply out there. And I know this is something to do with your work. Just tell me a little bit about that and some of the, the real issues that confront you in dealing with exactly that, with the protection of personal data. Indeed, maybe that's a very good example how the balancing of different rights happen in practice. One of the prominent issues that one gets to read in newspapers and in media in general is about how facial recognition, for instance, as technology can be used by law enforcement. Yeah? So when, for instance, police wants to investigate a crime, how they can use the CCTV camera video footages in real life to identify potential suspects, for instance, potentially tourists, for instance. And obviously, there you have uh, different rights at stake. You have, uh, obviously, people would say, well, it's my facial image is biometric data. It belongs to sensitive data. It's not just the personal data. It's sensitive data, which should come with a higher protection, which bigger safeguards in a way. And at the same time, you want also feel safe in the streets. You want to be your, you want to live your life freely and without living in fear that something might happen to you. So you also want police to do their job. You need to balance that carefully. And we recently, as an agency, issued a paper on this particle balancing of facial recognition technology and fundamental rights implications and what to bear in mind when uh, testing or potentially using, deploying these systems in public sector, especially by law enforcement authorities. And it's not a question about yes or no. It's really a question about understanding that different types of technology, that different types of uh, rights as well, and different types of uh, intrusions into rights, and what to bear in mind in order to balance the, those rights. One of the things I know that you looked at when you were in the UK, and you just sort of touched upon this, was you know the freedoms that existed there. And that's also the freedom of, of, of expression and information is, is one of the rights that set out in the Charter. What were you struck with in in the UK with, for example, the you know the freedom of the press there and both the attributes and some of the drawbacks of that? And how does that sit when you also look at the charter here and now? Obviously, coming to UK from post-communist country, the freedom of press is amazing in the UK when compared even nowadays to Slovak press. And, uh, and you just understand how powerful press can be and how important it is also. At the same time, you realize that even freedom of expression or freedom of press has its limits. And when you get these tabloids talking about personal life of people who might be known uh, to public, either because of their profession, like being actors, or because they come from a royal family, 
you might be wondering why you are supposed to read about what happened to daughter of somebody who is in, from a royal family and really the particular details from the private life that in a way is just to create a, maybe news that is not really bringing anything to the discussions of a general interest. It's just creating stories from nothing in a way. And you do wonder, you do sympathize with those people as well. They are public people, publicly known. So, of course, you balance differently freedom of press with those type of people and those that are really a private individuals. Still, they do have rights as well. And I think that's when one has to realize that the balancing should be happening. And it's not about one right being more important than the other. You grew up at a time and in an environment where freedoms were limited. We do now have the charter. Do you see us as sort of there's a, just a linear progression to an ever freer environment in which we are living? Or are there dangers and obstacles towards that? Currently, we are flooded with information, the new technology on the, all that. That creates a new challenges, a modern challenges, you can call it. But charter itself is not an old instrument. We know that, for instance, freedom of expression can mean that, okay, well, you have all this access to all this information and some of them are fake news and, and you really have to be careful yourself to understand what you can trust and what you cannot trust. Yes, we have a basic freedoms like access to courts, independent judiciary. Yes, there are countries which do have problems currently with, with the, this basic right. We, we have to be vigilant even nowadays. Having a charter is something that gives us the baseline and we always have to come back to the charter and to our basic rights, not forgetting how some of us had to fight to really make those rights reality and don't take them for granted that they are all there, they are there and they'll always be there. But be very careful with especially these new challenges, how that those can have impact on the rights, on the limitations of the rights and keep fighting and keep being vigilant. But having a charter is really a good uh, source of something that we have all in common in Europe. It's our common values, something that brings us together. That's Jana Gajdosheva, a lawyer with the FRA giving a legal as well as powerful personal viewpoint on the meaning of freedom. Other episodes in this series will hear a range of stories, including what the conflict in Northern Ireland looked like to a little girl and how it influenced her as an adult. This podcast has been presented by me, Richard Myron, and produced by Anouk Mie. This is an Earshot Strategies production.